We're still in our Gospel of John sermon series uh, right now, and we're going to be looking this morning, Lord willing, at John chapter 4, verses 43 through 45. John chapter 4, verses 43 through 45. We'll go ahead and read our text. Here the Bible says, Now after two days he departed thence and went into Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet hath no honor in his own country. Then, when he was come into Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did at Jerusalem at the feast, for they also went unto the feast. Father, thank you for the reading of your word this morning. Thank you for the song service we had, Lord, and we just uh, pray that you help us now in the message, Lord, that you'll be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, last week we finished up with the, the mini-series of The Woman in the Well, part three was last week, and we looked at those um, verses there above these. Uh, we saw that Jesus gave a little lesson to his disciples about sowing and reaping, and then we saw the, uh, the difference that the woman at the well had made on the city by simply giving her testimony that she had seen Jesus, she had met Jesus. And he had told her all things ever about her. And uh, because of the, her small, simple testimony, all the people that came out to see Jesus, and many of them were saved. And they also asked Jesus to stay with them and uh, to teach them more. And he did. He stayed there two more days in Samaria, of all places, for a Jew to be, and stayed with them and taught. And I'm sure there were many others saved that the Bible doesn't even talk, talk about. And so that's where our opening text picks up from this morning after he's been there for two days. And it says in verse 43, Now after two days he departed thence and went into Galilee. So we find Jesus getting back onto his itinerary. I believe, what was it, verse 4 maybe of chapter 4, it said that he was going to go uh, to Galilee. Uh, no, verse 3, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. So... His uh, time off there in Samaria, there that was he stayed with them two days, and uh, I don't know if that included. It must have included the day that he met the woman at the well. So a total of two days was there, I guess. Uh, but now he's getting back to his original plans of going into Galilee, and that's where he's going to spend most of his earthly ministry is in that area in Galilee. Um, that is. Uh, Jesus, even though he was born in a manger in Bethlehem, because Bethlehem was the city that uh, his father was from originally, Joseph, or his earthly father, Joseph, was from there, and so he had to go there to pay taxes, and Jesus was born there. Now, we know that when Jesus was born, that Herod sent out the decree to uh, have all the, the male children, two years and younger, killed. And so he was trying to kill Jesus uh, in this. And because of that, Mary and Joseph took Jesus and fled to Egypt. Now, we don't know how long they were in Egypt. The Bible doesn't tell us. It could have been just a few weeks. But while they're there, the word comes that uh, Herod had died, and so they're safe to return back home. Home is Nazareth, which is in Galilee. So Jesus is from Nazareth. That's his hometown. That's where he was at. As a young child growing up and uh, learning to work with his father there as a carpenter and uh, going to the synagogue there in Nazareth. <clears throat> but that's all in the country of Galilee. 
Uh, now, you'll see in the Bible that Jesus is called, in fact, 17 times in the New Testament, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth. He's only called Jesus of Galilee once in the New Testament. But it's in the same country. So the country of Galilee, the, the city of Nazareth. Now, um, we know that it was God's plan that, that that's where Jesus needed to be from because in Matthew 2 and 23, the Bible says and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. And we know, in fact, above his head, as he hung on the cross, he was Jesus of Nazareth there. He was a Nazarene. And uh, there were actually 10 major cities in the country of Galilee. There's many other cities besides 10 but 10 major cities, and quickly I'll just tell you what those are. Of course, Nazareth being the one we're talking about, Jesus' hometown, where he spent most of his uh, young adult life, probably up till the age 30, and, uh, when he began his earthly ministry. And then there was Capernaum, which we've heard a lot about. Uh, it's mentioned a lot in the Bible. Jesus performed many miracles in Capernaum and uh, spent a lot of time there teaching in the synagogue. And uh, Tiberias was another important city. That's a Roman city. It's located over on the western shore at the Sea of Galilee. Now, the Sea of Galilee, of course, borders all of Galilee and uh, makes up a big part of that, uh, it, that area. Uh, then there's Bethsaida, which we believe Peter, Andrew, and uh, uh, Philip all um, came from, was that city in Bethsaida. And in Cana. Cana, if you'll remember, that's the place Jesus first started performing miracles in public when he turned water into wine at the wedding in Cana. Uh, there, when he came there with his disciples on his way uh, into doing his earthly ministry. Um, and then there was a city called Nain. You may remember the widow from Nain, uh, who Jesus raised her son from the dead. Uh, so that's an important place uh, in, in that area. And then Magdala. Does anybody know anything significant about Magdala? You remember Mary Magdalene? That's where she's from. Uh, so uh, it's her hometown. She's the one that Jesus cast out seven devils from. And she also became one of his most trusted followers. She stayed with him. She was present with him in all the major events of his life uh, as his life was winding down. In fact, she was the one first one to come to the tomb uh, after he had resurrected. So uh, she was very faithful to him. And then there's Chorazin. Now, really, the only thing I think about when I hear of Chorazin is when Jesus is cursing those cities that had rejected him, and he, he gave out a, he criticized them uh, because uh, they did not repent. And uh, so that was also with Capernaum and Bethsaida. And he mentioned those two and then Chorazin together that they would, you know, uh, he mentioned about uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, how even they would have repented, but uh, yet they didn't. It was going to be worse for them uh, in the day of judgment. And then we see uh, Gennesaret. Uh, also, you'll, you might see the, the Lake of Gennesaret. That's also the Sea of Galilee. And so uh, it's the area in the northwest shore of Galilee and had very fertile lands, a uh, great place. And then one other place that's really not mentioned in the in the Bible, uh, Sephora. It's a large uh, 
large city in Galilee, very significant during his time, and it's, it's real close to Nazareth. Uh, I believe I looked on my in my Bible maps back here in the back in in this uh, Schofield Bible, and there's a big uh, map of that area, and it shows that city there, and it's and it's in larger print, almost like it, it's intended to be the capital. Uh, I don't know that to be the case, but those are the ten major cities of Galilee that Jesus would spend most of his time in. All right, now look at verse forty four. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet hath no honor in his own country. Now, I've titled the message today, A Prophet Hath No Honor in His Own Country. And we're going to talk about that here for just a little bit because this phrase is actually mentioned four times in the Bible. Uh, in all four Gospels, Jesus it's mentioned that Jesus uh, mentions it. And then here it says that Jesus himself testified that a prophet hath no honor in his own country. Uh, and so, uh, really what this is emphasizing is how messengers of God, those that's uh, trying to go out and share the gospel, share the things of God, are often, uh, they have problems when they come around people that are familiar with them. And so, uh, like people they've grown up around, people they've worked with, people they've been close to that know them. And so, when they go about trying to introduce them to God or talk about religious things, they're, they're looked down upon. They're not accepted. And so they have no honor. Whereas if they went to someone that didn't know them, it'd be totally different. Now, I'm not a prophet, but I can understand how this works because in our former church where I pastored there for eight years, before I pastored, I was their music director. I was the music director, I think, around four years before I became pastor there. And so that's how... All the people knew me as their music director. Even though I, I did preach uh, when Brother Dave was pastor, he would let me preach, but uh, they knew me as the music director. And so when I was called to pastor the church, I didn't quite receive the same type of respect that all the pastors before me received because they knew me as the choir director and not as the pastor. And so it was tougher for me when it was with uh, members of the church that had been there that had known me as, at that time. Now, people that came in when I became pastor, there were several that came and joined the church in that time. They didn't know me that way. Uh, they knew me as the pastor, and they treated me differently than those that were there uh, when I was just the choir director. Now, sadly, I was also the choir director and the pastor <laughs> during those eight years most of the time. Brother Roger, we had him come out, uh, I believe, a couple of three years maybe, off and on, but he only came for just uh, two months, I believe it was, out of the year and would lead for us. But uh, I was also the music director and the pastor, but again, members that knew me didn't quite give me the same respect that I thought a pastor should have uh, or even any of the ones that came before me. And so I can understand how this works. Um, we studied just last week how the people in Samaria accepted Jesus. I mean, he had great respect there. Even being a Jewish man who normally they would have wanted out of their city, they paid him great respect. They honored him so much they wanted him to stay there and uh, with them longer. But we find with Jesus, any time that he went back to his hometown in Nazareth, very different, very, very different. The people there would not accept him, and they were even offended by him. He offended them by speaking the truth. 
Look over in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 6. Mark 6, and look at the first six verses. We taught a, uh, we had a sermon series out of the Gospel of Mark, and we talked about this before. But uh, I want us to look at it there, because it, uh, it goes hand in hand with what we're talking about. Mark 6 and 1, the Bible says, And he went out from thence, and came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hand? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph, and of Judah and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house. And he could there do no mighty works, work, save that he laid his hands on a, upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went around about the villages teaching. And so we see the, the place where Jesus grew up in, back to his synagogue that he was raised in, where everybody knew him. They knew his mom, knew his dad. His sisters were even still part of the synagogue. Are they not here right here with him? Who in the world does he think he is? That's, that's their thought. Who does he think he is coming here telling us this stuff? We know him. He ain't nothing. He ain't nobody. And so, you know, usually when Jesus would go somewhere, people would come from miles around to hear him speak. Not here. They don't want to walk across the street to hear him preach because they know him. And uh, they, uh, this particular synagogue he's in, he, he grew up in, and uh, they're so familiar with him that, that they don't, they'll reject him. And, uh, you know, sometimes uh, being familiar with something is a good thing, but a lot of times it's a bad thing. Uh, what is it? Familiarity breeds contempt or something like that, I believe, is the saying. I believe that's a Roman saying. A Roman writer wrote that a uh, long time ago. But anyway, um, all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, tell us about Jesus being rejected in his own synagogue, in his own city. And... Uh, it's just because they've known him for 30 years and they can't reason within themselves how he can know such thing. How could he be some great teacher? Uh, from, from all indications, Jesus never attended rabbi school, not that we know of. Uh, the Bible doesn't mention it. In fact, they call him a carpenter. They didn't call him a, a scholar. Uh, he wasn't like Paul, Saul of Tarsus, who was raised up under teaching of Gamaliel, which the Bible mentions. From all indications, Jesus never attended any kind of formal training or rabbi school outside of his own home. And so everything we know about him, he worked with his, his earthly father, Joseph, in the carpenter shop. So he isn't known to these people as some great teacher, as they would think of the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, if one of them come in, oh, they'd be sitting on pins and needles, listening to everything they had to say. They're some great person. We've got to pay them great respect. Looked at their enlarged borders on their garments, you know. Listen to that guy pray. But Jesus walks in. Yeah. And so uh, and there in Mark 6 and 3, they say, Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judah and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. Offended. Can, can you believe that? How on earth could this Jesus, whom they all knew, uh, how could they be offended at him? But that, that's what happens. And so they say, is not this the carpenter? 
Is this not the boy that used to run around here barefooted and cause all kinds of problems? <laughs> I don't know if Jesus caused any problems. I doubt it. He was perfect. But uh, they're thinking his dad's nothing but a poor carpenter. Look at him in here, some big hot shot trying to tell us stuff. Uh, what an awful commentary it was on these people being offended of him. And so these people had the very Son of God in their presence, right there in their midst. God at that time was in their midst through Jesus. And they rejected him. They became offended. Verse 4, back there, in, and we're still in, uh, where is it, Matthew or Mark? We're reading from um, Mark. In chapter four or verse four, but Jesus said unto them, "A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and his own house." He's saying, "I have uh, honor everywhere else I go when I come and speak in a synagogue, but not here." And so, he's it's the same thing he said in our opening text in John four and forty four. Now he can go up the road just a little bit out into another town, another city, and he's going to get great respect, but not here. Uh, the other places would gladly receive him. Of all places that should have embraced him as their Messiah, this should have been the place, but they loathed him. In fact, this same place wanted to kill Jesus. Now, it's it's unclear whether the the, uh, the account in the Gospel of Luke is the same account where he went there that we just read about, or if it was a different one. Some people think it's different. Some believe it's the same one. I would think that um, Mark would have mentioned the fact that the people tried to kill him if it was the same one, but I don't know. But if you want to turn there, look in Luke 4 and 14. And it's either the same event or it's a different event. I'm, I used to think it was the same, but I'm leaning toward it being a different time now. But uh, you just study it and make up your own mind. But Luke 4 and 14 it says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him through all the region round about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel of the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister, and sat down, and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bear him witness, and wondered at the gracious words which, he, which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said unto them, Ye will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. And he said, Verily I say unto you, No prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you a truth, Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land. But unto none of them was Elias sent, save unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elysius, the prophet, and uh, none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman, the Syrian. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him under the brow of the hill whereon 
their city was built that they might cast him down headlong, but he passing through the midst of them went his way. And so we see this seems to be a different account from the other one. Um, but any time he went to his own synagogue and to his own hometown, he was rejected, he was scorned, and here he was even, they attempted to kill him. They actually grabbed him, pulled him out of the synagogue, took him to this high place where there's some cliff, and we're going to throw him off the edge of it. But he managed to escape out of there. Uh, the Bible said he passing through the midst of them went his way. So, um, you know, Jesus can do all things. So he was able to just go through there without them even realizing. Can you imagine their faces when they get to that cliff and they look around? Where did he go? Where is he? He's already, he's already gone. He's going to another place where they're going to listen to him. And, uh, you know, that's sad. That's a sad thing that they rejected him and uh, wanted to kill him right then. All right, now let's go back to our opening text, back in John 4 and 45, and we'll finish out this, uh, this part of it. Then when he was come into Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did at Jerusalem at the feast, for they also went unto the feast. All right, now, it says here when he came into Galilee, the Galileans received him. It didn't say when he came into Nazareth. Even though Nazareth is in Galilee, I believe he wasn't in there when the people received him. Now, when it says they received him, it doesn't necessarily mean that they believed in him as the Messiah. They received him because of what they'd seen him do in Jerusalem. They were at the Passover, do you see it? Having seen all the things that he did at Jerusalem at the feast. The feast is the Passover. For they also went unto the feast. So all these people from Galilee had traveled to Jerusalem for Passover, like all good Jews would, and they saw everything he did there. Now, what he did there, we remember, he healed people, um, he he spoke, he run people out of the out of the temple. Uh, so many things that he did there, uh, and so when they witnessed that, then they gladly received him into Galilee because they wanted to see more miracles. They want to hear more. They want to see more. Uh, and that's, that's naturally how people are. They see some great miraculous thing. Sure, they want to see it again. So what? They received him. We know that they didn't have believing faith in him, not the type that would save them, because we find this, these same people in the Gospel of John. We've already, we've already taught on this, but John 2 and 23, the Bible says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover in the feast day, Remember, that's where all these people said they saw him at. It's feast day in Jerusalem. It says, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did, but Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. So these Galileans are like those people. They saw the miracles and they had a belief it wasn't a saving belief. If it had been saving, Jesus would have committed himself to him. To them, but he knew he knows all men. The Bible says so. He knows they didn't have true faith. They didn't believe in him because of of who he was. They believed in 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 uh, all the miracles he did. They were they were interested in that, and so it was a superficial belief that they had, not a saving one. And so they what they've done they've allowed their own hearts to deceive them. Now you can deceive people, and it's a terrible thing. But when you deceive yourself. That is the very worst because you can deceive yourself straight to hell. There's going to be many people, I believe, 
that have deceived themselves into believing they were saved sometime because of somebody else got saved and they thought they'll just go down and get saved too or whatever. They didn't have true saving faith. They didn't believe in Jesus or what he did for them or that he was saving from their sin. They, they got caught up in a moment. They got caught up in the excitement like those youth groups that get together and they, they go and, and hear all this excitement. They get the, the bands on the stage and they pump everything up and they got the loud drums going on and everything. Everybody gets excited and they get in this, this groove and they get all together and then you see people start going down and well, people just follow them down there. And so then they're all around the stage and people are going around, you know, and asking if they want to get saved. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then time it's over, we had 300 people saved at the youth conference. No, you didn't. No, you might have had a 300 professions, but they wasn't saved. They might have been some, but they went down because they were caught up in the moment. And Jesus knows all men, and he knows what's in man. In fact, the Bible says in Jeremiah 17 and 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. So God knows those who are truly saved, who has true saving faith, and those who were just caught up in the moment. Those who just saw something great happen and decided that they were going to be part of it. The Bible tells us in Revelation 22 and 23, I am he which searches the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. This should get all of our attention, knowing that the Lord sees all, he knows all, and we will answer for those things. Listen to what it says in 1 Chronicles 28 and 9. And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. Um, look, that's some powerful stuff right there. And so we, we need to understand that God knows everything. It, it even says that he, he searcheth the hearts. He searches and understands all the imaginations. You know how much stuff you can imagine in your own brain. And God sees every one of them. Everything you imagine, every wicked, every nasty, everything you've ever imagined, God has seen it with his own eyes. And uh, that's scary. The Bible says in Proverbs 17 and 3, The finding pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tried the hearts. And of course, it's talking about that refining process where they would put it in, into the fire and melt it, and anything that was bad would just get burned off, and whatever was left was true. That's the way God does our hearts. He's going he's gonna to put it to the test. Not everyone who professes to believe in him uh, is saved. Not everyone that, that claims to be saved are saved. Uh, you must have saving faith in him and understand who he is and, and why you believe in him. Not because you saw something else or someone else uh, professed something and you decided you were going to too. That doesn't work that way. Uh, my grandparents were saved. My parents were saved. It didn't make me saved. I can't go in on their co coattails. And so, look, it's going to be evident as time goes on, those that are truly saved and those who are not. 
but the ones that I worry about the most are those that made some kind of fleeting profession at a young age, never went back to church, never studied the Bible, never prayed, never did anything. In fact, their life didn't change at all except for that one moment in time when they somebody asked them if they wanted to be saved, and they said, yep. And they went down and said, said some little prayer, repeated something or whatever they did, and then the preacher told them, well, you've been saved. And from that moment on, they believe they've been saved. And so they'll live their life like the devil himself. And if anybody invites them to church, oh, I got saved when I was a kid. You don't have to worry about me. Right, right. Uh, look, many will say to him on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not testified in thy name? Have we not done many wonderful works in thy name? What's the Bible say he's going to say? Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. And so, look, we need to uh, we need to always make sure that we don't, first of all, we don't go around claiming someone got saved. If somebody gets saved, that's between them and God. Uh, we can say, you know, they made a profession of faith, you know, let's pray for them, let's disciple them or whatever. But I've never been one to claim that guy got saved, she got saved, he got saved, you know. All these got saved. We don't know that they did. It's up to God whether or not they did. But uh, the most important thing is to understand that we are saved. Because if we ourselves are not saved, we are going to go to hell one day. We're going to stand before God thinking, well, God, I went to church and I did this and I did that. You know, I've got a place in there. You've got a mansion for me, don't you? Nope. What are you talking about? You didn't get saved. Uh, look, salvation is simple. No, no need to make it complicated. You believe in the finished work of Christ on the cross. He came. He died for your sins. He was crucified. He was buried. He rose again on the third day. And then he, uh, rose, he sits on the right hand of the Father to make intercession for us. And he is the only one that can save us from our sins. We're all dying in our sins. If you're living and breathing right now, uh, you are a sinful creature. And the penalty for sin is death, and, and the penalty is going to hell. And that's where those that don't get saved go, is to hell. And so to make sure we're saved, we must believe in Jesus. We must believe in the gospel. We simply, it's, it's profession of faith. We believe in Christ. We repent from who we are, the lost sinner, that we can't save ourselves. And we, we trust Jesus to save. We receive him. The Bible says, receive him as your Savior. And we receive him as our Lord and Savior. He forgives our sins for forever and ever. Every sin in our past, every sin in our present, every sin in our future, he forgives. He casts them as far as the east from the west, as far as the depths of the sea, never to be remembered again. And we don't have to worry about dying and going to hell at that point if we truly received him as Savior. And so let's pray together today, and let's pray for those that are not saved. Let's pray for those who think they're saved and they're not, and let's make sure we pray for our own selves that we're always faithful to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you today for the message. Lord, we understand the truth from your word. God, you gave it to us just black and white. Lord, we understand that there's many out there, God, that you say are not saved, that profess to be. Lord, we're praying for them today. Lord, that you will open their eyes, Lord and let them understand the truth about salvation. God, I, I pray for, for those today that are uh, never, never even heard the gospel, that God, that someone will reach them with it, 
And Lord, through the Holy Spirit, you'll convict their heart of their need for salvation. I pray for those people that are here today, Lord, sitting in our church, God, that each one of them, we know you search their hearts, God, but that they make things right with you, God, they understand the truth, Lord, that they're truly saved, Lord. God, I'm praying for our church. I pray, God, that you help us as we try to do what you want us to do, to be in your perfect will, and God, to correct us when we're not. Help us today, Father. May you receive any glory from it. For these things we ask in Jesus' name. And amen. And don't forget, uh, next Sunday we're going to be at Northside Baptist Church. Uh, that's in downtown Knoxville, across from the, uh, the big uh, cemetery up there, off Central Avenue Pike and Bernard Avenue. That's the road that the church is on. Um, they could use your uh, help there. Come out and uh, visit and help them sing, help them uh, in their worship service, and uh, come out and support me uh, as I'm preaching there. And uh, be good to see everybody. And are all hearts and minds clear this morning? All right. Good Lord willing.